Welcome to Gardening Coast to Coast. I'm Gary. I have a garden on the East Coast in the state of Maryland, and you can find me on YouTube under the Rusted Garden Homestead. Hi, my name is Callie Kim, and I have a garden in sunny Southern California on the West Coast. So Gary and I always have a lot of fun comparing notes from West Coast to East Coast, the differences in our gardens. And Gardening Coast to Coast is all about helping you have a better garden no matter where you live, whether you're in the U.S., whether you're in the Canada, in Canada, no matter where you are at in the world, that's what we're all about here at Gardening Coast to Coast. And remember, a garden wants to give, it wants to grow. So what we want to do is help you kind of tend it and get it going. And it's really hard to mess up. So give it a try. And no matter what happens, you're going to get produce and you're going to get production out of your garden. That's right. Well, Gary, we just got back from vacation and the garden was kind of a mess when we got back, honestly, but it was so nice to have a break. I always get burned out at the end of the summer. It has been such a busy spring and summer. I've been writing the book. The seed shop sales have been crazy. YouTube videos, people are really into gardening. So by August, I'm kind of done and I really needed the break. So it was great to get away, did a lot of really fun stuff and came back relaxed, refreshed, and really ready to jump into things again. So it's a really great feeling. So for us, although I am jealous that you went on vacation and I did not, but we're going to plan something, <laughs> my wife and I, for next year about this time. For the you same reason, to. you kind of get burned out. So I am getting recharged because the cool weather's coming. We've had a couple 45 degree evenings. I'm pulling out all the old warm weather crops, um, putting down compost um, amendments. That's what we're going to be talking about today is uh, just how you amend your garden, how you take care of it. Um, but looking at it, I'm like, all right, I, it looks good. I'm ready for spring now. So I want to wow. get back, kind of get back <laughs> to planting and um, just see, you know, what comes to be. Well, wow, 45 degree nights. Are yep. you guys getting frost anytime soon? Not soon, but we can get it anywhere, you know, with the way the weather's been for the last years, anywhere from October first week until like the middle of November. But I think we're going to get it sooner than later. Wow. So by the time this podcast airs, you could possibly have your very first frost. Yeah. That's pretty crazy here. We've actually, the weather's been kind of teasing us. We had a few days in the seventies and then we're getting hit again tomorrow for the next few days in the nineties. So you never know what it's going to be like in Southern California, but the cool weather has really been a, a really nice break. I like it. And it's great for your cool weather crops. Like I know, you know, our coasts are different. Our gardens are different. But when you're growing kale and collards into the frost and they get that first frost because they're leafy greens, they're cool weather crops, they can actually freeze through. The flavor changes. They're just so delicious. And that's what I am looking forward to, you know, later in November harvesting, you know, crops that have been kissed by the frost because the flavor is just so different. It's always nice to have that change in the seasons. And today's podcast is sponsored by, of course, the Rusted Garden Homestead and Kelly Kim Garden and Home. And in the future, if you're interested in advertising with us, this is where the advertising spot will be. And you can leave us a comment or just to send us a message at Gardening Coast to Coast. It's coast number two, coast, gardeningcoasttocoast.net. And today's topic is, we're talking about kind of the end of the season, what to do with your garden beds at the, at the end of the season. We're going to cover uh, lots of different things, including soil amendments, how to save money in your garden. Gary talked about kind of shutting down his garden beds for the season. So you kind of have, you know, an interesting perspective on that, from my perspective anyway, because we don't really shut our garden beds down. We just kind of switch them over. So um, it's a little bit of a different approach when you live in a warm winter climate. Um, I'm thinking now about what crops can I pull out, what warm weather crops are kind of coming to the end of their life, 
And then what can I put in its place? So coming into right now is really the fall um, gardening. This is the best fall gardening time starting in about a month or so. So we're kind of kind of walking that fine line, whereas you are already shutting down for the season. So a little bit different. So, I mean, if you have a bigger garden, my garden's, you know, a pretty good size. I don't need all the beds for the cool weather crops. So I am kind of putting them to sleep, but we're doing similar things. We're kind of refreshing the soil. You to start planting in, you know, pretty much right away. Me, four or five, six months later, the stuff that I'm putting down, and we'll talk about that, will be broken down or ready for my my spring planting. So it's an ongoing process to keep your soil fresh, so to speak, so that your plants grow really, really well. One thing I did want to add, like every time I go out to the big box stores, um, I do get a little bit annoyed and I try and, you know, get this message out to gardeners. I was just there yesterday and there was a product, miracle Grow, and they're proud enough to jack up the price. So I'm proud enough to say their name. They had fertilizer, 2.5 pound containers. Um, it was organic, great, all that kind of stuff. But they were $15 a container for 2.5 pounds of fertilizer. Wow. That's a lot of money. And, you know, I tend to recommend for kind of a gauge, Pay about a dollar, dollar fifty per pound for your organic granular fertilizers. Anyway, they had three different kinds. One of them said all-purpose fertilizer. It was a nine two seven NP and K. The one next to it said raised bed fertilizer. It was a nine two seven NP and K. Exact same thing. Exact same product. One was called raised bed fertilizer. The other one was called all-purpose fertilizer. And then there was a third one that had a little bit variation in an NPK, and it was called edible garden fertilizer. And I just want people, yeah, I just want people to be aware. That's kind of marketing. You don't need to buy three separate fertilizers for that. You just need any basic granular fertilizer for refreshing your soils, what we're going to be talking about, granular type. 555 NP or K up or down a few numbers. Don't get caught with it saying different names. It's just a marketing ploy. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how, how, uh, you know, people, it's easy to get caught up in that, but as we've talked about in past podcasts, we just need to keep it simple and just stick to that kind of balanced granular fertilizer, no matter what it's called. Now, Gary, question for you is when you're putting your garden beds, I'm going to just say to sleep for the winter do you add granular fertilizer at that point, or do you wait until the spring when you're actually planting to put that granular fertilizer down in your soil? Yes. Well, you do I, both. Okay. <laughs> I do. I do all of it. So that's the beauty. Like I just do different things. So I just, I did a video on that. If, and you and I are both sensitive to di- people's budgets and access to resources. So not everybody has access to endless compost. So you can't just say, I don't feel like I can just say, Hey, just put down four inches of compost. If we all had access to that, that's all we would do. We wouldn't need to buy anything else. So I do start with the organic granular fertilizer. Um, And again, that's a slow release and that will break down over time. And I buy whatever's on sale, whatever's the cheapest. Now's a great time on the East Coast. I know it doesn't go on sale on your side because you keep starting through the winter. Um, right. But it's sometimes 75% discount here along wow, the East Coast and wherever the, yeah, wherever the winter's rolling. Um, so I do sprinkle that down. And then, you know, I put down wood ash from burning wood, which I know you guys hmm. are sensitive to burning wood and, <laughs> and fires over there, which... Um, Resources, again, are different. So we can use wood ash. And then I go with um, alfalfa pellets. 
we can get those anywhere in the United States. And then I do the compost that I have. So I make layers, but you don't have to do all four of those. I just want to impress upon people, look to see what, what's available and what, you know, works in your area. Well, that's interesting. I've never used wood ash before. So I'm going to have to try that because we have a little fire pit out back that we burn all the time. And Jerry's been putting the wood ash in the green bin, but I'm going to start saving it and putting it down in my garden bed. So I've heard, you know, I've heard that being used before, but I'm going to give it a go. Is, and I is think that's green... one thing that's kind of fun is you got to try different things and then see what works. So yeah, is the green bin something that gets taken away from your house or is that what you're using for compost? Yes. Um, that is uh, what gets taken away from the house. So like any of my disease plants or whatever, I throw in the green bin and put it out with the trash weekly. Then they come and pick it up. Yeah. Because so, once... One strategy is to just, I thought your green bin maybe was where you were composting, is you can also throw wood ash right onto your compost. And on on a serious note, mm-hmm. is just make sure that the embers are out because people made oh, yeah. mistakes. So you, you want to either douse it and let it dry or just make sure you're putting on days later. Um, the reason you might do that is because wood ash is high in the pH, as a, a high pH. So people are always concerned that if I put wood ash down, I'm going to raise the alkalinity of my soil. I'm going to get past that 7.0 pH level. And then my plants aren't going to grow well. And that's possible, but you have to use a lot of wood ash for that to happen. And when you put it down lightly, like I do, um, rain soil biology helps kind of negate the ph and kind of you know your soil stays what it's at the only time i would recommend not using wood ash is if you already know your your soil ph is closer to seven and you don't want to raise it but most of our soil sits around like five 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 point five to six point five okay cool i'm going to give it a go thanks for the suggestion and high in potassium oh great wow good to know well, one thing um, that does kind of help my garden beds have a little bit of a break in the fall and in the winter months is that I get almost zero sun um, on a major portion of my garden. So things just grow very, very slow. So what I tend to do is I don't have high expectations for those areas that I'm going to get tons of growth. I tend to plant a lot of cover crops just to get the soil covered. So whereas for you, you know, you might things might freeze, you might not have anything grow at all. I'll lay down like a whole bunch of lettuce seeds, um, cover crops like, um, you know, like red clover. I like to plant a lot of legumes, um, peas, you know, the beans won't grow real, real well in the winter, but I pretty much cover everything in greens and peas. And then if they grow and I get something out of it, great. But if not, they usually will pop up in the spring once the sun starts hitting the garden a little bit more during the day. So it gives me a little bit of a break, and that way I don't have the whole entire garden to care for over the winter time. So that's kind of a, a nice way for me to go. Yeah, my garden is bare. So once that that heavy frost comes and winter rolls in, you know, later in December, um, it's just you know nothing's nothing's Nothing growing. There. Yeah, and when you're amending your beds, like I don't. And like we were saying at the beginning, you know, this whole podcast is about simplifying gardening, gardening, making it, yeah, I don't know why I can't say it, accessible to people. (laughs) Um, But you don't have to overthink it. Like you don't have to do the four layers I was talking about. Um, Cover crops are great. If you can't find red clover, you could use peas, you know, something just like you're saying. But the whole idea is when you have the warm season kind of finishing up, the plant's going to take out nutrition out of your soil. So we have to amend it. We have to add to it. And I went through, I use um, granular fertilizer, wood ash, alfalfa pellets, um, 
even grass clipping and leaves. One trick here on the East Coast is maybe you don't do any of those things. Um, you don't have time or you don't have you know access to, to those things or your budget's um, limited. Shredded leaves are a great addition to amending your soil. And you can put down four inches of leaves, um, chop them up with a lawnmower or something if you have to, if they're kind of thick. Just cover the, the bed, soak it down. And if you get, you know, go to the, we have a place called Ollie's here in, in Maryland. Um, and you can get tarps, four by six foot tarps for a dollar. Tarp, oh, cool. over, tarp over the garden bed, um, poke some holes in it because you want moisture getting in there. That's what allows the microbiology to be activated and do its thing. But just cover it. The wind won't blow the leaves away. It'll be dark. Worms will come in. Microbiology will break it down. And then come next year, you can just turn that into your garden. That is a one of my favorite ways to save money in the garden is by using shredded leaves. Now, I know you live on a big property and have tons of trees. We don't have quite as many trees as you do. So I collect leaves from the neighbors. I have a friend who's probably collected leaves for me for about five years. He puts them in his trash can and puts his um, his weed whacker in the trash can. And just, you know, where's a pair of safety glasses, but he kind of whacks up the, um, the leaves and then he brings them over to me. He brings me like five or 10 bags. So I use that for my compost and then put it over my garden beds, like you said, to bring in the worms and to really get things kind of broken down and then ready for the next planting. So that's one, probably one of my favorite ways to save money in the garden. And then I always have bags of them around, like in the summertime, then I mulch my garden beds with the leaves and, you know, helps the the moisture, you know, stay in the soil. So collect all those leaves that you possibly can. Well, definitely collect them because you can do them as we were just talking about. The other thing that I did was I just got a regular, I don't know, 20, 30 gallon, whatever those galvanized trash cans come in. Mm -hmm. You can use plastic, put holes in the bottom. You always need drainage holes. I filled them up last year about this time with leaves to the top. One container I put a lid on with holes in the top another container I left open. Well, I looked at it last week, just did a video on that. And those leaves broke down into the finest sawdust brown gold particles you could imagine. Wow. It's, that's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing leaf grow. I'm going to cool. save that for next spring, which was my point that you can put the leaves down now in the fall here, let them do their thing, but you can also throw them in a trash can, let them start breaking down. You could use some of them in the spring. Or a year later, you're going to have this great leaf grow or leaf mold, and you can put that right into the planting hole when you're planting your your warm weather crops. That's it's just amazing. A great, yeah, it's a great way to save money just using the resources that are available to you. A great free resource. I wanted to mention real quick too, because we talked about cover crops and just kind of going back to that. I want to explain a little bit about what that is in case people, you know, new gardeners uh, or anyone isn't aware of what that is. Cover crops are basically something you plant to cover the soil, but something that will, you're not expecting to grow to harvest, but you're helping, it will help amend the soil. And a lot of times what people do is they'll grow them and just before they start to bloom or produce, it's called chop and drop and they'll chop the cover crops over the soil and then let it decompose and kind of, you know, amend the soil as it decomposes about a month before uh, you start planting in the spring. So it's one, uh, one method, like Gary said, there's all kinds of methods out there, but it's one method that people can use that they can amend their soil and have kind of like a living mulch over their soil that will help things, um, you know, be nice and fertile come springtime. And I, I guess the, the bottom line to keep it simple is it's adding organic matter. If it's the leaves, right away or a year later, or it's the chop and drop. 
the whole key is getting that organic matter into your garden because the organic matter helps condition the soil, helps retain water, uh, but it also feeds the microbiology. And plants, I believe, your vegetables tend to be healthier and stronger when you have a lot of organic matter because it really treats the root systems well because the microbiology is in there and it's alive and it's doing its things, uh, you know, things that it's done for millions of years that is really, really good for the plants. That's right. And you know what? I also want to mention a little bit about containers because we do have lots and lots of people who just grow in containers. And I get this question all the time. What do I do with my containers at the end of the season? Do I have to take all the soil out? And I know here in California, I just leave my soil in and then add a little bit more in next time I plant. But you can do the same thing to your containers. You can add leaves to the top, leave them out, and the rain and the snow and everything will kind of you know help break that down. But you do always always want to add some fresh nutrients when you plant in the spring, because Gary, I'm sure your containers pretty much freeze solid out there they in do. Maryland. So you know it might be a little bit different for you, or you might have to empty them if they're actually a ceramic or a plastic container that might break. If I wasn't so lazy, I would empty them all, but I get to half of them <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. You just want yeah, to make sure, sure. If, if you, where you get the really deep freezes where when, you know, uh, your soil freezes, it expands. So you don't want to be busting, um, your, your pottery, your clay pots or anything that's expensive. So you do want to dump it out. Um, but I do a lot of what you said. And then sometimes in the spring, I just dump everything out onto a big tarp. I throw in all those amendments that we're talking about, mix it through, and then I put it right back into the pot and start start there. I wanted to talk about the alfalfa. Um, it's somewhat intriguing to people. So alfalfa is basically the cover crop that you're talking about, but it's used for feed, you know? So you could mm -hmm. use alfalfa as a, as a cover crop. You wanna make sure, like you said, you get it before it blooms and start seeding. Anyway, you can buy the pelleted alfalfa. It's about 15 bucks a bag, 40 pound bag, um, a lot of people say, well, it's got sprays in there that they use to, you know, kill weeds or do whatever. Um, you should buy organic. If you want to buy organic alfalfa, certainly do it. It's a little bit more expensive, but I can tell you that I'm using the $15 bag, not deemed organic, and it's not harmed any of my plants. You can just kind of watch the videos from this year. You see everything grows well, but what's really cool about the alfalfa is it breaks down and it has a natural growth hormone in it as the plant and it does help your plants grow um so that's why i choose like alfalfa over maybe beet pulp or something like that is because alfalfa just has that extra ingredient so to speak that helps your plants out besides the n p and k well that's pretty cool you give me another idea to try gary and i think that's what's fun is to have these ideas out there and then pick and choose the ones that work for you with your budget um look for the free resources as much as you can and um, that way, you know, there's something out there for everybody to help get their soil amended and help get their garden beds going come springtime. And you have, um, what's the right word? I have rabbits and I have fox and I have animals that are cute, except they still destroy a garden. I know where you live and closer to the city here, we have rats and stuff that come in that yes. can get to gardens. Um, people are sometimes concerned that the alfalfa pellets are feeding the rabbits or the chipmunks or rats. It might if it's left whole, but soon as you put it in the ground, just spray it down and it expands and it breaks into the sawdust and, you know, flakes and no animal is going to come and eat that. So don't worry about that. Well, that's great to know. 
Well, something that was kind of neat is after being gone for vacation, I went over to our email and checked our email and we had a ton of questions. So I love getting listener questions. Um, We are going to be doing another uh, listener Q&A podcast coming up, but we did choose a couple for today. So thank you so much for writing in. This first one is actually a really nice comment, Gary. So it's really nice to hear the feedback. This one is from Tara. And Tara wrote in and said, no real question, as this is my very first year of growing a garden, so still learning what my weather is in zone 8A. However, I just want to thank you both for sharing all the information that you do. And I really appreciated that because it's always nice to hear the feedback. And I don't know about you, Gary, but it really helps me keep motivated. Like, oh, if I don't really feel like making a video today, I'll get a comment like that. And it makes me realize that these videos and these podcasts that we're making are really helping people out and making a difference. So thanks a lot, Tara. I really appreciate you taking the time to write in. And I do appreciate it. And I know Kim and I, we do try and answer as many comments as we can. Um, I think it's important to respect the people listening to us because they can, you know, go other places. Um, But we also want you to, you know, listen, get the information you need and get out into the garden and just have a great time. Um, It's the best way to do it. You know, don't overthink it collect the info you need, but the best place to learn is really by, is going into your garden and putting those seeds in the ground. Exactly. Just learning by doing, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. And I think we've emphasized this on a couple of our podcasts, but don't stress over it. You know, the gardening is all about having fun. It's all about the experience. So just learn as you grow and, you know, you learn a little bit each time. And before you know it, you're going to have more to harvest next year than you did this year. And we do have a question next also from Nancy. And thanks a lot, Nancy, for writing in. Your question is, I garden in containers on pallet tables, which raise them to waist high. That's another great use of a resource that you can find for free. A lot of stores give pallets away for free. How often should I change the soil if I'm adding compost and rotating crops? I also have had no luck with carrots, radishes, or beets. Thanks for all the info on Rusted Garden about starting fall garden in flats. So I'm thinking pallet tables are probably pallets that are made into kind of like a raised bed, um, which is really a fun thing to do. And again, a great uh, use of some free resources. How often should I change the soil? You know, I I really don't uh, recommend completely changing out the soil in your containers or even in your raised beds. Like we mentioned um, a little bit ago, what I would do is just add some, you know, natural or organic products, organic um, amendments in there and refresh the soil each time you plant. So there's really no need to get rid of the soil. The soil is the most expensive resource you're going to use in your garden. So if you're adding compost and rotating your crops, I don't see any reason to change out the soil in your containers or your garden beds. Yeah. When we get to the second part, we'll talk, you know, more in depth about this, but what you want to do as Kim is saying is put in that organic matter. And that might be uh, bagged cow manures. That may be bagged compost. That could be a product we have here on the leaf, uh, on the leaf coast, on the East coast (laughs) is leaf grow. Um, That adds organic matter. Uh, but that's what you want to be thinking about is what can I add to it? And when you have containers, I do dump them out, like I was saying, and then you add in these products, you know, 50, 50, maybe 25%, but you'll end up with more and more container soil. So what do you got to do? Expand your garden because you're going to have more because you don't want to throw it away because it is expensive. 
Now, the second part of Nancy's question is I've also had no luck with carrots, radishes, or beets. So I know one thing that I struggle with here, you live in, oh no, that was zone 8A was the previous question. I'm not sure what zone you live in, but one thing I struggle with here in California is the heat as it relates to those particular crops. Because whenever it gets hot, those crops tend to produce more of the leafy growth, the carrot um, greens, the you know radishes or beet greens, rather than the bulbs. Um, so if that's the case for you, then just replant when the weather gets a little bit cooler. And then also those crops don't need a lot of fertilizer. So it could be that you're adding maybe too high of a nitrogen fertilizer, which will definitely produce more greens. But the cool part is you can eat those greens. So if you don't end up growing any root vegetables, chop up those greens, put them in your salads, use them for stir fries. They're very, very delicious and also very good for you. We had um, an event at Freetown Farm in the evening where some of the volunteers are moving on. They were actually graduating high school. And one of the um, students, one of the volunteers brought carrot top pesto, oh, which wow. was absolutely delicious. Like I didn't know that you could do that, but she made a pesto out of the carrot tops and it was just wonderful. Yeah, I love carrot tops. I, I used to uh, not realize that you could actually eat them. And now I'm just hooked on chopping them up, throwing them in my salads. They have kind of a zippy flavor. And really add a great flavor to whatever you add them to. Now, Sheila T. has a several-part question, so we'll try and get to all of it. But she wrote, uh, Gary, hoping to see this on YouTube, bags of soil, castings, etc. And how long do they last? Do they go bad if left in the bag? Do they spoil? Um, they're kind of heavy. I just leave them, I think, where she drops them. The answer is they do not go bad. Um, a lot of bag products might have an odor to it. Usually that's because they're not fully composted or broken down, like if you're getting manures or whatever. So in a way, letting them sit for several months or from fall to spring really helps that manure or that compost fully break down. And that's really important because when we're talking about amendments and someone says add compost or add manure, if that manure or that compost hasn't broken down 100%, fully broken down, when you put it into your garden bed, mix it in the soil, that may challenge your plants for nitrogen. That's because it hasn't broken down completely. And the microbiology is trying to break down the manure or the compost, and it's taking nitrogen from the soil from your plant and your plant may struggle. So in a way, you could buy a bunch of manures and composts, you know, that are on sale right now, Dump it out of the bag on a tarp, leave it in the bag, but just let it break down. If you're going to leave it in the bag, cut some air holes in there and just let it do its thing. And it's a great resource to use next spring because you know it's 100% broken down. That's right. I know sometimes I get bags of soil that I just let sit for a while. And it's actually kind of nice because then they kind of soak up a little bit of moisture. Like if we have rain in the winter, if we ever get rain in California, that is. And that way the, the bag, uh, a potting mix is not quite so dry when I'm adding it to my garden bed. So I don't have to mix quite as much water in. So sometimes that could be a little benefit to letting them sit around. It makes your job just a little bit easier in the garden too. And she has a, a it looks like a south side to her house that just gets beat by the heat. And she's asking, are there any solutions for that? So, I mean, if you're not already doing it, an inch or two or three of shredded hardwood is a great mulch. It cools the soil. Um, sometimes you put that down and you move it out of the way and you would have to put in more plants like tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, zucchini, plants that like the heat, but that mulch helps keep the soil a little bit cooler. It's going to be hard to plant seeds there because it's just going to get baked 
and that's going to be a challenge. You could, you know, put up something that casts some shade on there, but that may look unattractive on the side of your house. So it's a different, it's a difficult problem to address. Um, but I would start with compost several inches to help keep the soil moist, um, and then pick crops that love the heat. Now that might be a nice, nice place to grow come fall when it starts to cool off and you can actually grow in that space maybe longer than you can in different parts of your yard. Yeah, I actually, the front of my house is uh, the south side and uh, I don't grow a lot of vegetables out there anymore because unfortunately our dog goes out and like he does his thing in that, in that area. But um, when I did, I tried to kind of cover it a little bit with some shade cloth. You know, it doesn't look like the best thing in the world for the front of your house, but if it's on the side, you might be able to get away with that is just put some stakes in the ground around your garden bed and then put like a 40 or 50% or even up to a 60% shade cloth. It doesn't really matter because then you still allow some sun to get through while keeping the intensity of the sun's rays off those plants so that they don't, you know, completely die out in the heat. And if you have questions, um, certainly uh, leave us the question at gardeningcoasttocoast um, dot net. Again, it's gardening number two coast, gardeningcoasttocoast.net. And we will uh, incorporate them, you know, most likely into um, the next podcast. And, and the last little, question. One little Go note, ahead. Gary, before we move on there, um, just in case people are not able to get their questions answered, because sometimes we try and answer what we can, but we're not able to get to all of them. Use the search function on our YouTube channels because a lot of times we'll probably have a video about your topic and that way you can actually see a vis visual representation that might help answer your question too. Yeah, that's a good point because I know all the amendments we're going to talk about, if you search amendments or soil or container mixes or refreshing container mixes or compost, that's going to pop up on both of our channels. And, you know, I mean, we're going to date ourselves, but we've been doing this 10 years, <laughs> maybe 12 years. So I think we each have well over a thousand videos. So yeah, chances are you might be able to watch a video on your question topic. Of course, the older ones are a little scary, maybe not as polished and <laughs> whatever. Oh, yeah. But I hate the watching those very a... first videos. Those are crazy. <laughs> and her last question, um, she started using hydrogen peroxide, H2O2, to deal with uh, diseases on her tomato plants and the flavor of the tomato plant changed. H2O2 is not going to change the flavor of your tomato plants or any plants. Well, thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. And we look forward to reading more of them and doing a full podcast episode on questions um over the next month or so so we're into fall i guess so is, is it even fall do we it is fall. Hit fall september yet? i think 21st 22nd was the first day of fall and we're recording this on the 29th so we've been in fall for about a week now well there you go that's why it's 45 degrees now in the evening <laughs> so my garden again is being put to sleep we'll talk about the amendments but i have you know really loaded what i like into the garden um my first plantings of radishes and even turnips that I put in middle of August, hoping to get them early, failed because the soil was too hot. So I oh, got wow. a bunch of the leafy greens. Some of them are flowering. Um, so I'm going to actually let them form pods because the radish pods are edible. So I'll be using them in a different way. But I want to encourage people when you're trying to figure out how to move into the fall garden from summer to fall, take notes, put the seeds down, you know, middle of August. If that doesn't work, see how they do come beginning of September and just keep going, but you'll be able to figure out what's the best time to get these different cool weather crops into the ground, just in case, you know, you started too early. Don't give up. Just keep planting. Well, I have to be honest to say that I'm really glad, not that your radishes failed, <laughs> but that you had a little bit of issue because I had a lot of issue with some of my fall seedlings. I started a whole bunch indoors 
I want to say probably the beginning of August. They grew beautifully until we went on vacation. And my son was home kind of keeping an eye on things. Well, he's not really into gardening. You know, I mean, I showed him how to water the inside plants, but, you know, he doesn't really do it like he should. So when I got home, what happened? I had three flats of fall seedlings that were completely dead, keeled over, brown, dried up. That was supposed to be my fall garden. So what do you think I did this week? I had to start completely over. So I started three new flats of fall seedlings, which actually the timing works out pretty good because it's about six weeks. They'll be ready to plant. That'll be what? Mid-November. So that'll be just about the right time for me as a Southern gardener to get them outdoors. So things happen even to people who've been gardening for 10 or 15 years. So that's happened to you. Listeners out there don't feel bad. (laughs) You Right. But you had a wonderful vacation. So you came back stress-free, right? right? Exactly. And I think that's the key though, is just keep planting. Like nothing is going to go right. But even if things go wrong, you're still going to have production out of your garden and just really have fun with it. Biggest question we get is, that's really expensive. I can't afford that. Or how can I save money in a garden? So I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't want to overload everybody with, this is what you can put in your garden. And then everybody runs out and gets it. So we were saying organic matter is important to get into your beds if you're transitioning like you are to planting almost right away. Or like I am putting some of the beds to rest for, you know, next spring. So organic matter could be peat moss. It's non-nutritional. It holds water. It's a good soil conditioner. Microbiology doesn't do much with it. You could use cocoa core. Um, that's, what is that, shredded husk of the coconut or something like yes. that? Um, that helps loosen clay soil, kind of conditions the soil, holds water, aerates it. Doesn't add a lot of nutrition to your plants. Um, people get worried that peat moss is... Uh, not renewable. People worry that cocoa core is not green because of the ships bringing it over. Use so much fuel. <laughs> you just got to decide what works for you. Then you can go into more organic matter that's going to feed your soil, microbiology, and your plants, like the alfalfa pellets. Those are from feed stores. Um, you can do cover crops like you were talking about. You can get manures, um, compost, there must be more. Am I missing anything? I think leaves we mentioned earlier, oh, leaves. which is, you know, readily available to most people. And if you don't have them in your yard, like I was mentioning, ask people to collect them or even go to your city parks and throw them in garbage bags. I've done that before too, when I didn't have any trees in my yard. And that's probably to me, like the best free resource you could possibly use for your garden. And most people, you know, can have access or can get access to them in some way. And you can also use grass clippings. Like as long as your lawn hasn't been, or as long as you have a front yard, because some of us don't have a front yard. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have, AstroTurf? Yes. And you know what? (laughs) I don't think you East Coast people understand what it's like here in California when you don't have water (laughs) for six months out of the year. It's pretty crazy, but it's pretty common now to have artificial turf now for yards out here with all the water restrictions. It makes sense. And (laughs) you can, you know, if you're able to get grass, you can use the grass clippings. Just make sure they don't have chemicals on it. And while you can go and grab leaves from neighbors, leaves are typically clean. But if you're grabbing grass clippings from along the road, you may be grabbing something that has chemicals sprayed in there. And you don't want to put that into your garden. Yeah, definitely something to be careful about. Um, Compost is a great free resource as well. If you have the 
you know, the space and the time to make it. You don't have to have a ton of space to make compost. And I've made compost in a five gallon smart pots before. The key is really breaking down the, um, the compost ingredients small. I've done it where I blend it up. I know it kind of sounds gross, but you blend up all your food scraps in your blender. And then I just layer them in a five gallon smart pots with leaves and, uh, you know, whatever other kind of organic matter. And it actually breaks down in about a month or so. Now, you're not going to have a ton of compost from this, but you will have some that you can kind of sprinkle around your garden. A question I get asked about compost a lot, and maybe you can help address this, is can you compost in the winter? Now, for us here, yes, we can because we don't get hard freezes. But how does that work in a climate where your compost pile or your compost container is most likely going to freeze solid in the wintertime? So when it freezes solid, probably no, but... There's different kinds of microbiology and some work at cool temperatures, some don't, but it depends on how you're really kind of making it. You can do a hot composting in the winter where you're putting in the green grass, which you'd kind of have to hold over a little bit, um, leaves or brown materials. Anyway, that can heat up and that can still break down a little bit. But once we get into January, February, you, you can't really do any of that. Um, the other thing is, is there's just general cold composting, like the leaves that I was talking about putting in a trash can, they freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw, but that's more of a fungal process. It's different than the hot composting and they continue to, you know, to break down slowly, but you're not going to be able to get it quickly. It's just, you, you know, you just but, kind of let it go. But you could still kind of start to compile your compost materials, like your, your kitchen food scraps your leaves, your grass clippings, your maybe your uh, garden scraps, if you have any, pile them up, you know, get a little structure or a little pile going. I like the big compost sacks because it keeps it all contained, whether you use a tumbler or whatever you use. And that way, once the springtime comes, you're going to have your scraps already in, in place. And then as things melt, your compost is going to start to decompose. So you can always get a little head start on it that way. Yeah. And compost going from like the peat moss and stuff that doesn't have fertilizer in it compost does both it conditions the soil holds moisture helps aerate the soil feeds worms microbiology has nitrogen phosphorus potassium calcium magnesium sulfur i think i got the main oh that was a good list yeah <laughs> you it rattled has that off micronutrients and it has trace elements so it's doing everything. That's why compost is great. So if you can, you know, go ahead and get that started. I do want to stress too, is now you can start going into stores, at least on the East coast where things are going on sale. So you can find bag potting mix, almost 50% off. You can find different composted materials, different manures, um, on sale. Sometimes, you know, 20%. Those are great things to get now. Just put in a pile, like we were talking about, let it age. You can use it in the spring or put it onto your beds now here on the East Coast. That four or five months, six months before spring comes, you're going to be able to plant right into it. You're not going to have to worry about it breaking down. What I love in the wintertime is throwing those leaves on the garden beds. And then once those leaves start to break down, it's so much fun once you dig in there in the spring to plant because you see all these little worms just like scurrying away when you're digging into the soil. So that is just, I mean, as a gardener, that's so much fun because worms are a sign of healthy soil. So that's always a, a great thing to look forward to in the spring as you're planning and preparing over the winter time. Yeah. If you have worms, you're going to be good to go. 
clearance sales. Now, I was talking about that uh, product that was 15 bucks and it was a 927, for, I think, raised beds and a 927 fertilizer for um, all-purpose fertilizer. The third one, which was for edibles, also $15 for whatever reason was on sale for $3.98. Oh my gosh, wow. So I bought them all. <laughs> that's about <laughs> a buck, a buck 50 per pound. Um, that's reasonable to me. The reason that they're on sale is because they're charging so much money for them. People aren't buying them. Like I, I, it really does bug me to kind of go back to where I started, <laughs> but you can find these sales. And if you divide them, you divide the poundage of the organic granular into the cost. And if you're at about a buck, a buck 50, that's really worth getting. And you can use that however you want. You can sprinkle it on your bed. Now you can sprinkle it on your bed later. You can sprinkle it in a hole when you're planting the tomato plant, you can use it for a side dressing, but now's a great time to really look for those clearance sales um, and save yourself some money. Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can save money in the garden. So just again, just to kind of reiterate, keep it simple don't stress about it. Don't feel like you have to run out and purchase all the products or all the do all the things that we talked about. Pick one or two and then, um, you know, use that as a way to save money in your garden. And again, it's winter time. It's a good time to take a break if you need a break and just plan and cozy down and wait for spring. There was also um, another sale, another company, which I'm not going to mention, but they had, you, you attach the... Um, spray the sprayer to your hose and you can kind of just spray for as an insecticide or a fungicide and they were like twelve dollars and 98 cents which was way too much but they were on sale for two dollars and 98 cents and at two dollars and 98 cents it's definitely worth it because the containers get to cost you that much you could you know reuse it but they were just peppermint oils and different oils in there that just coat uh the fungus spores and they work great as a as a fungicide or a fungicide and they would also coat soft bodies soft bodied insects and smother them. So it was a great insecticide. However, at $12.98, too much yeah. money. At $2.98, it's a great deal. Definitely a lot more, a lot more doable. So you're quite the bargain hunter, Gary. Yeah, I bought Way them to all too. Yeah. So Good it job. definitely works. All right. So amendments, any last thoughts on helping people save money or trying to get the bed set up for next year? Uh, you know, one thing that I didn't mention that is also one of my favorite amendments is worm castings. And the cool thing about worm castings too, is you don't need a lot. A little bit goes a long way. So I've used worm castings for a lot of years in my garden. And what I found, um, you can purchase worm castings. I use Vermistera. I think Gary used Vermistera worm castings too. There's lots of different brands out there, but you add some to your garden beds. Again, you can add them just to the planting hole. But they tend to bring in the worms because they're tiny little eggs in there. And then before you know it, you're adding your own worm castings to the soil through the worms that, that come in. And you don't need to add as many worm castings next year. So it's just kind of one little way that you can continue to, you know, create that soil life and save a little bit of money in the garden next year too. Well, I like to call um, worm castings the uh, end product of nature because it's the droppings from the worms and they also have growth right. hormones in there too so they have a lot of other things that benefit the plant that have just been around for millions of years so the plant is actually looking for that kind of symbiotic relationship and i do use vermistera if you're going to get worm castings you just want to make sure the product you're buying is delivering what it says because sometimes again with this advertising you'll see bag stuff that says worm compost and that's really just compost. There are some castings in there. So there's a difference between getting a nice sifted bag of castings versus 
you know, a bag of, of worm compost. But I do use it like you're saying. I use it predominantly in my um, vertical towers in my containers because mm -hmm. that uh, microbiological system is just different than the earth. And I do put in a handful right into the container, and I think it does make a big difference. Definitely. I've seen a huge difference since I started using that several years ago. So we are coming to the end of podcast number four. Again, I want to encourage people, if you have questions or you want to get in touch with us, go to gardeningcoasttocoast.net. Kim, I've said before, you're on book number two. Book number two. And I actually just got the final layout and design today. Um, and I sent it back to the designer. So it is ready to roll off to the printer and fingers crossed, but I have a feeling it might be a little bit of a delay just due to all the shipping issues and all that, but it's on raised bed gardening. So if it comes out when it's supposed to in March, it's going to be perfect timing for the spring. So, uh, you can pick, pick that up over on Amazon. Actually, it's already out for pre-order and figure out, you know, how to get your raised bed set up. One thing I really like about it is there's tons of really beautiful illustrations and garden bed design. So if you're not sure what kind of garden bed to plant, got a kitchen garden, a salsa garden, kids garden, pizza garden, all kinds of fun stuff. So there'd be a lot of fun things to choose from. And I don't know if we have a topic for next week, but I thought maybe we could have our listeners, you know, send us topic ideas too, because I think that'd be a great way to keep the, the podcast relevant. So, you know, suggestion. Yeah. Ask questions, but also if you want to hear, you know, 45 minutes on a specific topic, we would definitely welcome that. That's right. One thing I like to kind of focus on a little bit during the winter time for people who can't grow outside is, is indoor gardening. So a lot of things you can grow indoors, you know, keep it simple. But if that's something you'd like to hear a podcast on, then like Gary said, send us an email, go to gardeningcoasttocoast.net. There's a little comment form there where you can send in your suggestions. We would love to hear it. Keep it simple. Remember, a garden wants to give back to you. Um, and we both just encourage you to give it a try and stick with it again. Could be the worst garden of the year. Next year, it could be fantastic. So just hang with it. That's right. Gardening is great for your mental health. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way to get your family involved. Gary and I have been gardening for a long time. We are absolutely hooked. And winter is also a really good time to take a break, just kind of slow down a little bit, plan and dream about spring. So if that's where you're at, then take a break. If not, and you live in a Southern climate, then get out there and get something planted. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you rather than <laughs> do a video next time. That's right. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.